Oh, very cool. Hey guys, welcome to the Jungle Brothers podcast. It's me, Joey, Polly, and we've got Lex Towsy with us today. I love that you've automatically gone to my nickname. That's great. And it wasn't even action. Well, I felt a little bit stiff last time and I was like, Alexa, and you're like, uh, it's Lex. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm glad you learned from your mistakes. Um, we had Lex on uh, earlier this year, was it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Something like that. It was pretty recently. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what episode it was, but it was not to be missed. It was all about building resilience. And yeah. I believe the title was uh, how on how resilience cannot be taught. Correct. It's experiential. Experiential? Is yeah. that a word? That is yeah. Now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was a huge episode. You asked yeah. before how like how it went. And I um you know, we don't we, we get we get a handful of texts, you know, every now and again when an episode hits some kind of um some kind of string for a lot of people. And that was one of the ones because it covered I mean you were so open with your story on it. Um, and I think that for a lot of people that was, um, I don't know. I think for a lot of people that was incredibly empowering because they were looking at you and looking at the cover of the, uh, with the picture we had of you on the podcast show, um, people were probably expecting it to be something different. And then mm. you just like opened up like a goddamn savage. Uh, oh, I remember such a my, savage. My, <laughs> my cousin Emma, actually shout out to Emma. She, she texted through, which she doesn't text through very often, but she's like, that woman's fucking awesome. She was like, she was so unvulnerable. I love that episode. Thank you. Oh, yeah. you know what really made me happy about that? I actually had a few guys message me about the whole alcoholism component. Mm. Um, and it's amazing. Like it never ceases to amaze me actually. Every time I do an interview about my alcoholism or my 13 years of sobriety, which it is now, um, or Daily Mail publishes an article, I get so many messages and not once has it ever been negative. Not once. It's amazing how many people out there can relate. And it's funny, just on the topic before we go off it, but I did an interview yesterday and I was talking about the fact that I'd watched this news briefing the other day and they were, you know, there's big ranting and raving about the whole COVID restrictions, obviously, because we're back in lockdown. And um, they were talking about how some stores, why were some stores allowed to be open and when others had to be closed? And Koshi, hate to name, like, I hate to name and shame, but. I feel like this should have been edited out or re-edited in some way because he made the statement of like, you know, how is it so, you know, why is it that toy stores are allowed to be open and jewellery stores are allowed to be open? You know, if you have to leave your house to go and get the essentials, like if you have to go to the grocery store or the grog store and make sure, and I was like, oh my God, they've labelled the grog store as an essential and they've normalised the fact that people should be out there getting Mm. alcohol to bring home. I was like, this is such a terrifying day that yeah. where's the society that this is now normal like mm. how is that possible it's a good yeah. point yeah and i mean the bottle shops were open like we're one of the few businesses that were allowed to operate during the last lockdown weren't they yeah and i mean there's obviously you know there's a, a suppression tactic there that the government knows like well keep them like make sure they can still have the alcohol and that will keep them quiet well and that's subdued for a while to say that's probably the only part of compliance <laughs> yeah <laughs> just get them drunk and they won't remember anything <laughs> you were saying you saw you ran into some some people doing a margarita tour down at Bondi oh Beach. my god yeah and i happened to know some of them and i was like go the fuck home <laughs> i'm like you know only in and i hate to say this only in bondi like you know and i such think a it's, special place for many oh, reasons. Such a special place. <laughs> so special. Yeah. I've, I've had yeah. enough of Bondi. I'm going to move to Byron Bay. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> COVID yeah. does not exist in Byron Bay. No. And they've got good margarita tours up there too. Well, they probably yeah. do. 
Um, what is the? Um, I'm a little bit oblivious to it because it's come through in the last couple of hours. But what are the? What are the new? Uh, we're, we're like we're we're coming to the end of the second week of lockdown. By the time people are hearing this, we'll be entering our third week. Mm-hmm. What, what's it at now? What do we got to do? Um, it, I think uh, it was extended for one week, and it seems like it might go longer. Just with some of the, if you read between the lines there, um, but they've stopped people from. We, we used to be able to uh, get together and work out with ten people. People now it's only two persons, or your whole household. So I'll be able to go mm. out and you know go with a family of five, but it's just two persons training in the park together. Um, outside of that, I actually don't know what it means for any other businesses. Just all got texted to me an hour ago, but maybe there's other restrictions for retail and stuff like that. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I yes, the non-essentials yeah. will be closed. I don't know. I'm yeah. going to check on those grog stores. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, look, and I think you can't travel out of your suburb. That's right. To 10Ks. exercise now, so yeah. ten kilometers within. Um, you can't leave your home for any reason other than for essentials, and if you have to do work that can't be done at yeah. home and again it's all based on you have to stay within your suburb yeah that's right so um on the grog thing how about the deliveries as well like making it it's so accessible well oh. the way that everything's going don't even get me started oh, no, so i'm gonna go down a freaking rabbit hole and offend go a whole there. bunch of people go there fuck them <laughs> <laughs> get them. I'll hold them down while you oh hit them. Oh my god! It just makes me. It makes me so fucking angry that this is like that. This is what is being normalized. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it like I've never said that drinking nece- is necessarily all cons- encompassing evil, but it's the way in which we're drinking, and it's our relationship with alcohol, and it's what is actually considered normal that is actually scary. That's a really good point. Just the you culture know? around drinking, the attitude that we do it with, especially like. In Australia, right? 100%. It's not, you know, and I find that this, like, mental health as a topic has come so far in the last few years, like, in terms of the awareness and the education and people understanding that there are resources and support networks out there. And they're much more open about talking about it, especially when it comes to things like depression or anxiety. But Mm. I feel like alcohol and people's relationship with alcohol, there is still a massive stigma around that because I feel like people feel like they are, absolutely being judged because consuming alcohol is a choice if you have depression it could be um for a number of reasons but it's not necessarily a choice whereas alcohol consumption is a choice that you make and i feel like so people are more like well i don't want people to think that this is what i've chosen to do with my life so they don't want to talk about it so Mm. a lot of that stuff is normalized because you know everybody does it and like I said, I'm not saying that consuming alcohol is bad. I wouldn't say to everyone, like, never drink anything else in your life. It's all bad for you. But we definitely have to re-examine our relationship with it, for sure. Yeah, good point. Yeah, it's a f- um, you were saying, Paul, you listened to the uh, Sebastian Junger recently on Joe Rogan? Oh, yeah, and just part of it, part of that, that interview, yeah. Um, have you heard of this guy, Sebastian Junger? He's, a, he's an author and he wrote a book. He's, wrote a few, he's written a few books, one called Tribe, mm. which is really fascinating. I've, I'm reading it at the moment. Um, he talks about in that about, um, about a bunch of things, but one of them is these, how the, uh, the, natural, this, the, the natural evolution of, of, well, the natural scenario that we evolved in, which was in tribes in a more natural environment, and this is you know, over hundreds of thousands of years, um, gave, sort of gave place for certain things to happen that were like initiation 
sort of rights. So war, like battle was a big thing, as was hunting. And they became places where the young males could prove themselves. So it, it, was, it was obviously good if, if uh, someone wanted to apply themselves and be a good, a good <laughs> warrior. It was good if they could be a good hunter and have good physicality. We don't have those things so much now, right? Like you can join the army and stuff, but you're not even necessarily going to get to work, go to war. Thank God, right? Um, but he was talking about other things that fill that void because in our, it's still in us to want to prove ourselves on that thing. So for, for young males, it's like driving fast cars and taking risks and fucking smashing the car. Or it's like drinking way too much alcohol or pumping way too much drugs. Yeah. And, I, and I just thought, fuck yeah. So like that's really what it was for us forever, right? Like as teenagers and, and in our 20s was like, like this proving ground for like how much can you drink, how hard can you go kind of vibe, which subsides as you get older. Does it though? Well, it's still, <laughs> it, just, it just mellows, but it's Luckily still there. for some it has. Yeah, but, but it, it doesn't but it, always. Yeah. But it is still there. And in, in, a, in a sense of like, oh, crack another bottle kind of. I reckon it comes down to why you drank in the first place. Like if mm. you were drinking to feel the sense of connection with other people, which is like, you know, they've done studies with rugby teams in the UK and Europe where, um, you know, they've taken away alcohol mm. from them and their performance has suffered because yep. in those places... They didn't places, do the bonding. Correct. That's where the bonding happens. Um, so if you're drinking because you need to feel that sense of connection as you get older and if you get a family, potentially that fills the need or you've got a job that you find particularly fulfilling, that fills the void. You have these things that makes you feel connected. But if you never have that connection where you drank because you just liked being drunk, which was, that was me... It doesn't. As you get older, potentially, maybe you are still isolated from other people. Maybe you don't have a job that you absolutely love. Maybe you don't have a family that is filling that void or keeping you busy. You keep drinking, so it doesn't necessarily mellow. It just becomes something that you do to pass the time or something that you do because you've always done it. And then you're in a society that basically says, well, everybody's doing it, so it's absolutely fine and it's absolutely normal. So there's the justification for that behaviour, so there's no reason to change. And unless you're going to die of it or you're going to lose your job and end up on the street or you're going to lose a loved one and that really breaks your heart, why would you change? There are no consequences, you know? Yeah. So. It, it being normalised, like, uh, you know, in everyday culture or I would say, you know, we're looking at um, Australianisms, you know, beers, skewies, mm -hmm. it's all part of it. Shoeies. Shoeies, you know, <laughs> you know. Tied three of us is fighting this weekend. <laughs> you know, and even I find a sense. COVID! <laughs> like, and I'd be lying if I didn't say there was a sense of pride there. When he does that, I'm like, that's an Australian thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Australia. Um, but like, how on earth do you change something like that? I mean, it, what, it would obviously take, it's generational type of thing, but, and there's probably not one fix for it. What's well, interesting, maybe as an example, they kind of did it with smoking in a way. Uh, yep. Right, with huge amounts of money and effort from, from the government. Yes. They managed to make, you know, something that was inherently cool, that everyone thought that's fucking cool. For, I don't know, we be, you know, like smoking was cool for hundreds of years. Mm. And I mean, you know, it's still, it's still uh, for me personally, I cool. see it sometimes and I can still relate a coolness to it. Um, maybe because I reminisce on the old days when I used to learn it. It's just all about risk-taking behaviours. Like that's what it falls into and that's kind of mm. edgy and cool. And rebellious yeah. behaviours. Yeah. But, but, you know, stylistically and mm. photographically and all those, the like there's an aesthetic to it. Huge yeah. in the films. But then you look at um, like what well, your kids and I'm sure that they have uh, an opinion of smoking that it's like ridiculous 
Cause it like, it's stupid. It's going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Because you know, and you think of all that shit with the packets and the advertising and whatever, mm. um, could the same thing, could, could the same thing be done to alcohol Out. if we wanted to do the same thing? Outprice it. Uh, probably different mm. because, um, yeah, you could outprice it in the way they did with tobacco. And I think there was something in the paper about the budget this week about how much of a hole it's left in our budget, um, just tobacco sales over the last f- however many wow. years. And it, it was some huge number. Um, hard because with alcohol, it's so easy to make yourself. And, you know, what history shows is when you take alcohol, it's so easy for people to start making yourselves. With tobacco is a harder one to kind of, you know. To, so anyway, that could be the way. Um, because money is the is the great influencer. So if you if you outprice alcohol, I have no idea. It's a good point, but then <laughs> I'm not sure if we're going to come up with a solution. Anybody has got any here. suggestions? Yeah, <laughs> just email in. Fuck it, I'm going some tobacco. Changing the world, <laughs> yes. drinking a time. That's right. Well, I think in um, apparently when you hear uh, when you listen to like American podcast talking about um, the legalization of marijuana in the US, apparently the states where it has been legalized for a while, like California, they've they've made like they've surpassed um, the money that they used to make on, you know, certain other things because the sales of cannabis is just through the roof. (gasps) And so they're like, well, this is fucking great. Like, this is good for everyone. (laughs) Like, the smokers are happy, the medicinal users are happy, you know, and the government's making shitloads of money. So maybe we could legalise marijuana and have a similar thing here. There we go. Who's Controversial. Making, <laughs> who's making the number plates though? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So Lex, um, I wanted to, we wanted to get you on today to have a chat about strength training because uh, obviously this is a huge part of your life and it was something that we didn't even touch on in the last episode. <laughs> um, and specifically strength training for women. Um, I, I have a couple of things that I want to sort of pick your brain on about it, but there's, uh, would it be safe to say that the, the culture around strength training being a thing that women use as part of their fitness regime is shifting in recent years or is that just in the little bubble that we exist in? No, I think it's definitely shifting. Um, and I think, you know, like I may, I'm trying to think what there's, I think it's kind of like twofold. I definitely think that when I first started being in the training industry, a lot of women would come to me and their main concerns were, I want to lose weight. That was it. And then I think I sort of first saw it starting to change when I came to Sydney and I had a lot more girls coming in and being like, I want to build a booty or I want to get strong. And, you know, and I think, again, like I, like I said, I think it's twofold. I think you've got women like, and I hate to say this, but Kim Kardashian, who's come out, you know, she made the booty, J-Lo, her, her and J-Lo kind of like single-handedly made the booty or the belfie, the the butt selfie. The belfie. <laughs> yeah. Holy the belfie. shit. Belfie. <laughs> yeah, that's a new terminology for today. Right on. Um, <clears throat> they made that really sexy and really um, something that women wanted to aspire to. They wanted this and they started coming in and asking specifically to get shape and strength and size in that area. Um, and then I think the advent of CrossFit. You know, I mean, CrossFit is called many things and a lot of us believe that the reason we're fixing a lot of people is, you know, because of the injury risk. I say it's just all to do with the coaching and the programming. Um, But, you know, I think CrossFit made lifting weights sexy for women. I think it really did. I think it really highlighted that women can be all powerful and compete on the same playing field as men can. And that's really fucking sexy. Mm. So I think that did a a lot for the strength industry. I agree. CrossFit definitely um, gave a place to celebrate muscular women as well. Mm. 
where, you know, you go to a CrossFit gym and you see, you see, you know, not like you see a lot of normal looking people, but you, you generally see some women like in little hot shorts, little, little tiny tops, and then jacked full of muscle. And you're like, that's fucking cool. Because as a look, you didn't really see that anywhere unless you watched female bodybuilding. Yeah. And it wasn't, it definitely wasn't as cool. No, you know, it wasn't. No, it was weird. It was a bit cool. freakish. Females didn't aspire to look like that. They didn't. You know, I remember being in Hong Kong, and I mean, over there they're tiny. Like I'm a giant, and I remember women coming in and being like, you know, I I really love the way you know the way you look is great, but I don't want all those muscles. I don't want to look like you. And I'd be like, you think that by coming in three times a week and doing the full <laughs> circuit that you're going to get the muscles that I've got? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I was like, this jagged as fuck shit doesn't come cheap, man. <laughs> um, you That's know. perhaps the greatest misconception <laughs> of strength training, isn't it? That it's like, do this once and you will look like me. 100%. But in saying that, and I have had this conversation, which I also think it's really important to address, is that, you know, I've seen a lot of conversations surrounding women coming into a gym and then being like, you know, I don't want to get bulky and I don't want to get built and I don't want to get whatever. And I've seen trainers roll their eyes or write something really, um, you know, condescending on social media about how, oh my God, another one of these conversations and oh my God, why do women always think that? And I think it's really shitty. I think it's really shitty behavior because it's your job as a coach, as Mm. a good coach to get them to trust you enough that you take what they want into respect and you give them what they need as well. But you do it in a way that doesn't make them feel like they've asked a stupid question or that they're stupid for raising it in the first place because everybody has their own concerns and everybody's concerns are validated. You are allowed to feel like you don't want to look a certain way. You are allowed to feel like you don't want to do a certain thing. Um, but what I found is that like, you know, often as a byproduct of women training to be strong or training for a performance-related goal, they've had an aesthetic that's come off the back of that. But they, by that stage, they're so empowered by how strong feels that they don't mind that they've put on a little bit of muscle. You know, they don't mind that they've kind of exceeded um, their aesthetic, you know, their original aesthetic goals that when they came in and spoke to you because all of a sudden they feel really fucking great and you've empowered them to feel that way. If someone walks into a gym... And you roll your eyes at them and be like, oh my God, you're never going to get that big. Because I can tell you, I've, I've actually been in a situation where I was training for a boxing fight and I went into a gym and I was like, look, I need to do some um, weights. I need to do a little bit of power training, like training for power, but I get jacked as fuck. And again, they rolled their eyes at me. Four weeks into a program, this upper body, and I was jacked as fuck and moving really slow. And I was like, this is what I didn't want. So I can tell you that some people, some What was freaks, the trainer's name? What gym? <laughs> <laughs> name and shame. You know, like some some people are freakishly built and some people do have the genetics to Happens. build. And some people, if they don't watch their diet, like if they're not given all the accessories to go with the new strength training or um, the information that goes alongside building muscle or getting fit or getting stronger, they will put on size or weight, whether it be fat or whatnot from their diet. It doesn't matter. They will put on weight and that will freak them out. But if you give them a negative experience first off and make them feel like their concerns are invalidated, that's going to set them up for their experience in the gym for the rest of their life and they're never going to trust anything you say. It's a great point. So I think that trainers should be very careful of that. Everybody has valid – everybody's concerns are valid and no one deserves to have – eye rolling when they come in to ask like to have a conversation about future goals that's pretty shitty yeah i mean you're the one that's like the trainer is the one that's educated on the whole thing 
they're not, which is generally why they're coming to you. Yeah. So, like, of course, they're probably going to say things that, you know, they don't know how this shit works. Correct. So they tell you what they want and then you compute that and, like you said, you take that into account, you take into account what you know they need and then you find a nice balance. Exactly. And, you know, like for a lot of women that I've trained initially, one of the biggest things that I found right at the start of kind of the glute movement was that a lot of women had never felt their hamstrings or their glutes because every time they'd worked out, they hadn't been corrected. So it was all quad dominant. So the only place they ever got sore was their quads. The only place they ever saw grow was their quads. And they're like, I don't want big quads. Mm. So the minute you actually take them through an exercise where they feel their glutes and their hamstrings working, they're a convert. And you can do whatever you want from that point in because they absolutely trust you. So yeah, that's my experience. I think people need to be aware of that for sure. I like um, when you have someone that comes in, we get it in the gym here a lot. You have someone that comes in and, you know, they're looking around at, at the gym and the people that are in here and, and often, you know, someone will say, oh, yeah, like I, I want to get fit and that's why I'm here. Oh, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to do that or I'm not trying to be that guy. Oh, wow, look at that guy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can, you can see what's going through their head at that, at that moment. Um, but what's really cool is you're like, yeah, yeah, that's all fine. You know, like this is your thing and, and whatever, let's get started. And, um, and then, I don't know, cut to like a couple of months later and they're fully converted. And they're like, you see them like, like at the Swole Friday class and they're like, let's get it. And someone's like, get me <laughs> another it. spot. Yeah, you know, you're like, fuck, that's so cool. Like, it, like yeah. the, the experience in this gym or the gym that they're at has totally reshaped their or like recalibrated what their uh, expectations are and and maybe preconceptions are about being athletic and muscular and putting time into developing their physicality and all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, the amount of times that I've, you know, had that that exact conversation where it's been about I just want to come in and I want to get, um, you know, I want to get some shape or I want to get some tone that, that, that like, lovely yeah. word, you know, and then by the end of it, they're moving well, they're not experiencing pain anymore, they're living a fuller life outside of the gym, they can do shit that they never thought they'd possibly do, all of a sudden they're like, started running again because they can do it pain-free, you know, all of those things. They come. start to send a little bicep flex emoji. <laughs> exactly. They sign off with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I had, this, I had this one lady called Lizzie who came into me and <clears throat> I always talk about her story whenever I talk about strength training for women. Um, because she initially came in to see me. She had never lifted weights before. She'd never set foot inside a weights room before. So she was absolutely terrified, had all the same concerns that a lot of females do about getting bigger or getting bulky or whatever. And, um, you know, she was terrified, but she was like, but I trust you. I've heard, you know, I've heard that you're decent and I just want to, I want to, I want to see what I can do. And now she, what I also found out through the course of training her was that she was bipolar. She was a medication for being bipolar and she was also being bullied in her workplace. And so she had come in not just to feel physically strong, but also to feel mentally strong as well. And honestly, like the day that she did a 30 kg deadlift and it took us like, I would say close to a year of doing bodyweight stuff and getting her to move properly because she'd never done anything and she had so many injuries. Um, <clears throat> A year, you know, she did this 30 kg trap bar deadlift and in a, in a place like 98, that's like nothing in the scheme of things. But my God, it was like the best day of her life. You know, she made me take a video of it. She took the video back to her workplace. She showed it to all the boys at work. She was like, look what I did today. I deadlifted 30 kgs and it was awesome. 
And honestly, she sent me the most beautiful message about, you know, training, about feeling strong. She's like, honestly, I just wanted to say thank you. This is, you know, it's the first time I've really, I felt strong. And because I feel physically strong, I feel mentally strong. And I feel like I can say no and I can set boundaries. I can ask for what I truly deserve. And I've never felt like that. So thank you. And I was like, and that's what strength training is about. Like to me, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing someone become empowered in their training and then watching how they apply that, that new strength, both mental and physical, to the rest of their life. You know, that's what our job is all about. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's that, huge. That's probably the, the, the most beneficial part for <clears throat> sure. Oh, 100%. And, I, I mean, you know, I can't tell you guys enough, the, you know, how much strength training has played into how I feel about my life and how mm. it's allowed me to deal with many things that have come up. Mm. It's a modality, you know, it might not seem like a, a modality that you use to deal with mental health, but it absolutely is. Can you kind of describe how that, like, how does that carry over? How does what you do in the gym translate to how you might react in a situation or, or view something in life? Well, I think, I mean, we talk about resilience, you know, on the last podcast, we did a lot of stuff about resilience and resilience for me is experiential, my new word. Um, you know, you're using those hard experiences in life and as you deal with those hard experiences in life, you learn from them, you learn how to adapt from them. And then the next time you experience something like that, you're stronger. With the gym, it's kind of the same thing. It's almost like you go into the gym and you do the hard thing. You do the really hard thing that you potentially didn't know that you were capable of and then you complete the really hard thing and now you know you're capable of it. So now the next time you go to do a really hard thing, you go, fuck yeah, I've got this. That's what the gym is all about. It's about, you know, making yourself do the hard thing so that you understand exactly what it is that you are capable of going forwards. Well put. I have my moments. Mm. <laughs> it's just simplified <laughs> and it's, it's so true. And that client of yours probably, well, I kind of assume but it, it definitely would have helped her deal with say the bullying in the workplace and stuff like that absolutely i think so mm, that's cool what's um in terms of you know talking about some of these things that uh that that someone might like you know that misconceptions mm. things that people think about strength training or about being in a gym that kind of thing and looking at it through this lens of like women and strength training, what are some of the what are some of the misconceptions there that you find yourself sort of addressing and educating your clients on, and and maybe you know, or that you even that you see within the industry towards women, like you were talking about trainers rolling their eyes and whatnot. <laughs> in those conversations, um, look, I think you know I've had when I first started training, and I I didn't want to do any upper body training. I just wanted to train my lower body for whatever reason. I just didn't want to do any upper body training. But I think, you know, we as coaches, again, coming back to any conversation that you have with a client, it doesn't matter what your own beliefs are at that particular moment in time. I think you have to put aside the things that you have been taught and the things that you want to achieve within your own training. And I think you need to focus on what that client actually wants. And I think the biggest mistake is that someone comes in to see someone comes in to see you and you go okay all people should be able to do a squat all people should be able to do a pull up all people should be able to do a push up well actually no that's not up to you to decide because if that person doesn't want to do a pull up or a push up like i've had models that have come in that have been like my agency's told me i can't put in any size 
or I can't, they don't want me to train my upper body or I don't want to do whatever or I just don't want to do a pull-up. I don't want to be able to do one. I don't have any interest in being able to do one. It's kind of like, I mean, at some point down the line, it's something you can reassess as they get stronger and they come to that conclusion by themselves that potentially maybe they do want to do that because that would be pretty fucking badass. Mm. But at the beginning, it's kind of like you don't get to put your own expectations about what you believe should be happening in their training onto them because at that point, the training experience and what they're paying for is to get a really positive training experience for them. It's not for you. It's for them. So, you know, like I completely understand that we all think that there are standards that should be met um, in regards to different lifts or things that you should be physically capable of or want to be physically capable of or potentially maybe we don't understand why somebody doesn't want to be able to do that. But at that point in time, that is their choice. Um, And there is absolutely a way that you can work around it and get them to reassess down the track. To that though, Mm. just as a counter, what if if we um, take that idea of the person not knowing what they need? So, you know, and and it's often that you'll have someone, uh, a client coming in and they'll tell you, oh, this is what I want and this is what I don't like and this is what I don't want to do. And you're like, well, you can't actually get that without doing that and that. Like, you know, you you can kind of say, okay, well, look, the process is going to involve a little bit of this thing that whatever. What about that in that situation where you're like, well, you don't you don't know what you need. I I know what you need and I hear what you're saying. How do you navigate that? I think that I mean the way that you've just said that is the perfect way to navigate that. I absolutely understand what it is that you're saying and what you're trying to achieve, and that's what we will ultimately work towards. Um, in the interim, these are the things that are going to really help you achieve that. One of them is improving your posture. You know, for women, that's a really big one, especially, you know, if we improve your posture, if we can get your shoulder set, we're going to take away any neck pain that you might have from hunching over a desk all day or the poor posture that you have. We're going to make it so that you can improve your lifting technique with all your lower body lifts. And that's going to make you better overall, not just aesthetically, but performance wise as well. Do you want to live without pain? Do you want to look good when you walk into a room? You know, you want that backless top or that backless dress to look really good. Well, this is how we're going to do it. You know, and eventually you'll find that when you do, you sneak the things in that they might not potentially want to do at the beginning. When you do eventually sneak them in and they realise that you were right all along, then they trust you. But they have to sort of come to that conclusion, I feel, by themselves. Because if you push them down that track too soon and something goes wrong, they're never going to trust you again and they're never going to trust the gym experience again. Yeah, you burned them. You've burned them once and now they don't want to come back. So it becomes a negative experience. I like that. They're like, yeah, I'm on board. You're like, all right, five by 10 pull-ups, let's go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I think there's a way. I'm not saying like by all means that, you know, if women don't want to train their upper body, we should absolutely be okay with that and never be a proponent for doing that. But I think there is definitely ways to do it that aren't necessarily being done. I think there is a more diplomatic way or a, a way of having those conversations without making people feel invalidated. Is um and obviously the like the experience that we talk from is more of the the gym like group environment yeah where it's it's a bit different people when you're coming into the the group thing you don't have the opportunity to have it tailored to you as much it's kind no. of like what's going on here do I want to be a part of it yeah you know and whatever you can do some PT and that kind of thing of course but for you you're dealing more with one to one one to one people so it is very customized isn't it yeah but I mean look I take classes at ninety eight Bondi. Um, and that's interesting, you know, I've got 24 people in a class, some people who have never 
touched weights before. Some people who are like over in the corner squatting 200 kgs, you know. So it's an interesting environment. Um, you have to be able to adapt to what everybody wants and what everybody needs and the fact that everybody moves very differently and has been taught differently and has very different gym experiences and coaches prior to coming in to see you. Different crew down at 98 Bondi as compared to 98 Riley? Uh Probably a little bit, actually, I would say. we. It's funny because when we put out the registrations of interest for 98 Bondi, there was like, it was probably, percent, probably like 80% men who responded to the initial investment. And we're like, oh my God, this is going to be a sausage market. This is going to be crazy. We're probably about 60 to 65% female membership now. Wow. And some of the women that I, that initially came into classes, because I take the strength classes, and a lot of them had, they were Pilates and yoga, you know, they were just, fanatics that's all they'd ever been done that's all they'd ever done that was all they really believed in and so this was the first time they were lifting weights and they had all of those concerns um and I still remember the first class that we ever came into and it was like an upper body class and you know Kev had programmed you know five I think it was like five sets of um, five to eight pull-ups after these bench press reps and some of these girls the only option they've ever been given is to do banded pull-ups and I'm not a fan of banded pull-ups. So I was like, nobody's using bands. What, you don't like empowering people to pretend they're doing an exercise <laughs> that they actually can't do? How dare well, yes, you? I, yeah. <laughs> well, because they'd all been going to, you know, like say an F45 franchise and not take anything away from them. Nah, you know, we em. don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be the diplomat here. <laughs> but, you know, but that's the only option they get given. Because, I mean, you've got, what, 45 seconds to do as many of you can of this exercise. It's highly unlikely one instructor is going to be able to go around what, how much, fuck, is it what, 50 or 80 people in a class? I don't even know how many people get in those <laughs> no, classes. That's 45 people per okay, class. Okay, yeah. fuck, everything to do with 45. <laughs> okay, so you've got like, you know, you can't get around to these people and instruct everyone how to do a pull-up. So I, I get it to a certain extent, but they don't progress past that. So in the first class, I was like, nah, nobody's using bands. Everybody's going to learn how to do an either an isometric hold or an eccentric pull-up today. Everybody's going to learn how to spot each other. That's what's going to happen. There aren't any other options. So the That's minute I cool. took away the option and by the end of the class, all of these girls had learned how to, you know, they weren't great at it when they started, but they got comfortable with like, I started them off with just hanging on the bar. For the girls that actually couldn't do any sort of eccentric, they did 30 second or max, you know, just dead hangs on the bar, just getting comfortable being on the bar. Yeah. And for the other ones that could get up there and hold it for 10 seconds, they would get up there and hold it for 10 seconds. For the other ones who could actually had a bit more strength, they would just lower themselves all the way down from chin over the bar to a dead hang for three to five reps. And the guys who were instructing the F45 down the road, there were three of them standing outside the window watching while I was teaching all these girls that had been at F45 oh, no. to do pull-ups. And I was like, fuck yeah, this is what I want everyone to see. And now, six months into training, all of those same girls, they just got their first full you know, one to three strict pull-ups. And for the girls, they were the ones that didn't want to do the strength <laughs> training to start with. They weren't fussed on the whole pull-up thing. They absolutely hated them. And it was like I said in the first class, I was like, you are going to hate pull-ups until you do your first pull-up and then you're going to fucking love them. And that's exactly what happened. And that's awesome to watch. So it's just a case of like, trust the process, but be respectful of them. You know, they respected my authority they, they trusted the process. They haven't got big and bulky, they've, but they've learned how to be strong and how to do the right progressions. And they've learned that they're capable of far more than they originally thought they were. That's cool. Yeah. 
Talk to me about the big and bulky piece. Um, you know, as we know, for the majority of people, yeah, th- they have to focus very intently on all aspects of their development in order to grow muscle, the mm. training, the recovery, the nutrition, mm-hmm. et cetera. So it's actually really hard to put Shooting on muscle. Up. Yep. Shoot, yeah. No. <laughs> Pump, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for the rest of us, it's a, it's a blessing. In the yeah, case. for the Tongans oh, or the fucking, you know. Yeah, right? Bastards. Yeah. I've still um, got white girl calves over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a little bit of uh, the car, the small calf thing's a bit. Um, oh, how annoying it's is that? An African, it's a bit of an African adaptation I read. Well, uh, uh, oh, small, yes. Small calves and a long oh, yeah. lower leg. Yeah. Long yeah. shin. Yeah. That's yep. also why they, they jump very high or have uh, a generally ath- very athletic. Um, it's the length of the tendon. Ah. So you'll often see with people, uh, big jumpers, they have short calves and very long tendon. So I think that you can store more energy in it or something like that. Ah, so you see so all the, the ballers. Because, because the, muscle, yeah. Yeah. The, the muscle and the tendon are, are one. Yes. So the smaller the muscle the is, the longer the tendon like ratio yeah. was. Yeah, that's uh, something I learned recently. Yeah, that's wow. incredible. That's why my calves are lo- no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not Don't bulky, be shy to pump up your calves. Yeah. <laughs> They're popping. <but laughs> um, I read a thing somewhere. Mm-hmm. It was saying one of one of the theories of why because it, I remember um, there was a big jacked uh, black guy that at the end time fitness I trained at. I think he he might have been English, but he was African heritage, mm. and he was jacked. But he had small calves, and he'd always come to me. He'd be like, no. "He'd be like, bro, how do I build calves like yours?" And I'm like, "Bro, you need to be born by my mum." <laughs> and he's like, "I've been working on mine forever, and I can't get them." And I, I was like, "Dude, I'm gonna check this out because I have noticed that you do see that with a guy, a lot of guys of African descent. That, yep. like you said, like a short calf and yeah. s- and small lower leg. Lower leg. Apparently, That's why it makes sense to me the, the thing when I read about the um the whole jumping thing. There was an adapt. Apparently, there was, or a theory is that there was an adaptation in the um, uh, in Africa. Um, what the fuck is it called? Um, <laughs> the plains. I can't remember the name. Serengeti. Savannah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, the savannah. I don't even know. Is that, is that what Just, it is? I yeah, don't yeah, know. yeah. But essentially, very like a very hot part of the earth, very hot ground, and so the adaptation was it ah. it helped them to if they grew a lower, longer leg. And it had uh, it had a thinner um, it had thinner muscle. It would create m- more distance from the earth, which was super hot, where the heat was radiating from. Mm. And it would also give them more surface area to disperse heat through that length. Oh wow! I got no fucking idea if there's any credibility to that at all. But I was like, that's kind of yeah. cool. If yeah. that, you know what I mean? Like just the way that shit works. When you look into why is someone's body th- this way? Yeah. And you find oh, well, that's actually a really cool reason for it, perhaps. Yeah. I can say I can I can honestly say from a girl's point of view too. Like, if I am checking a guy out, I'm looking at their calves. I don't know why that is, but I like I think calves on a guy's really sexy. I gotta say, <laughs> yeah. show us your calves. <laughs> Bloody, uh, my cuffs are too well, tight. No, I can't pull you, it up. Generally over speaking, if you've got good calves, you've got good hammies, you've got a good ass, and need we say more? <laughs> well. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I've got a bit of a theory on this. I could drive, now. good hip drive. Everyone's going to be out on the car machine. Next <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez! I think that um, I think that calves. I think that forearms and wrists, and I so think that necks, if necks. they are muscled, well muscled, those three, it, it lets you. It indicates that that person is truly strong. If you're, if you can see. Whereas okay. if you see someone, and this is like a real typical kind of um, like body part split, like gym guy kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Big upper body, like even big legs, 
but they got dainty wrists, a small little thin neck that's never had resistance on it. A chicken neck. And calves, you're like, dude, that's a, like, that's a fake body. <laughs> like you could, I wouldn't get you to help me move house ever, <laughs> right? But if yeah. you see those areas, they're like, they, 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 they indicate that there's some real sort of strength there. That's so my it's take It's real on athleticism, it. yeah. Yeah. True if athleticism, I'm checking, If yeah. I'm checking out a guy, it's... It's forearms. <laughs> forearms are a big I, one. I love, I love a big forearm. I'm like, oh I, I All think the better for massages, right? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. But just um, when they're holding a coffee and just like that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's from like having little action figurines and, and seeing the superheroes drawn with the really thick forearms yeah, into the right. wrists. And I used to like always sketch, um, you know, <clears> from comics when I was young, just copy them. Just those big forearms. Five arms, as we call them. Oh, five arms. Yeah. Wow. You were a friend, I've never had heard some that. huge ones. We had oh. a mate, Duncan. He, he, huge forearms. Dunk. Shout out to Dunk. Dunk. Hi, Dunk. He was a rower in high school and he was just jacked from, I remember my brother used to talk about him he when he was like, and he's, I, mate, Dunks. And Dunks had a younger brother, Laird, I think. And Laird was- um, Laird. Laird. Like Laird. Nah, Laird, I think. Oh, I was like Laird, like as in the metal, yeah. Laird. Far he was, out. He was massive cool as well. <laughs> Solid, mate. <laughs> Solid but poisonous. <laughs> yeah. But Dunks was, a, Dunks was a cop, probably still a cop. And he said that once he, he, he was just questioning some kids, you know, like they were hanging out and he's like, what are you boys doing here? And just had to, you know, so he had his field book <laughs> and he was taking notes. And as he was scribbling in his book, one of the boys goes, oh, geez, check them out, mate. They're not forearms, they're five arms. Because he's got these oh, massive oh, forearms. Oh, now I get it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What, what's that? Okay, <laughs> now I understand. And Doug's yes. like, ah, thanks, mate. <laughs> you know, There's I, I mean, if you even, I mean, if you think about that as well, like even if we go evolutionary wise, Grip strength is one of the prime indicators of mortality. Yep. So yep. if you've got, like, if someone shakes my hand and then it's a weak ass, got like a limp fish, I'm like, fuck no. Yeah. I'm you know? not going to reproduce with you. Yeah. Mm. 100%. Yeah. So, mm. you know, there is something to be said for that. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking A. Yeah. Because you can fake the other stuff. I mean, you can fake that stuff too, but well, it's harder. If you don't have five harms, technically speaking, you probably, I mean, can't handle heavy weights. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Well, not for long periods of time anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Because you have to have strong forearms if you are actually strong in your upper body. And likewise with the, with the lower leg. It's like if, you are, if you're doing um, whatever, squatting, barbell stuff, lifting heavy things in that way, there's no way that your lower limb is not going to get stronger or thicker. Yeah, I think for a certain extent, but then, you know, if you talk to these extension. Well, yeah, you talk to these guys about, you know, the guy that comes up to you in the gym and it's like, well, how do I get bigger calves? And they've probably never done a calf raise in their life mm. or they don't sprint or they've never, you know what I mean? Like mm. They, mm. they don't do any of those exercises that would build calves. Because I point. feel like it's not really. But you look at John Jones. John Jones does it all, tiny mm. little calves. Again, he's very athletic and explosive. Extremely so. That very long tendon. You need to find somebody with Achilles. these long tendons and I've short muscles to come on. Oh yeah, <laughs> be good. I've seen them. I, when I found that out, out, I had to Google. <laughs> a lot of the ball players have it. They're as wow. in the NBA stars, yeah. Ballers. Ballers. Oh, um, we were talking about getting jacked, mm -hmm. were we? Is that where we were? That's we were talking about getting jacked. You mentioned yeah, calves. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. off on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we were. So, um, so the, you know, the acknowledgement is that for the majority of people, it takes a lot of effort and consistency to put on muscle mass. Um, talk to me about strength training in regards to women and that sort of, that, that, that statement that comes up, well, I don't want to put on mass. Although, I mean, for me, when I have that conversation, it's usually because I do look, you know, I mean, people think that I train my upper body a lot because I am jacked as fuck. 
I started training. Well, I have like, it's just, I'm a fucking gorilla. I get this all the time. But anyway, (laughs) you know, I was on a, I was actually on a walk the other day because I did the walk for um, um, the, uh, the beanie walk. Mark Hughes Foundation. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I did the walk. And um, I remember, like, I had done a bunch of stuff, you know, within the athletic realm. So I know a lot of the boys that play NRL. And I remember, like, I caught up with Willie Mason afterwards. He was like, fuck, I knew it was you just by looking at your back. And I'm like, yeah, that's fuck. <laughs> Shredded That's back. the training. Yeah, just, it, it is, you know, like, it's something I'm known for. But I started training, like, in the weights room when I was 15 years old. And I spent from 15 to, God, mid-20s, consistently doing weights. I did not just walk into a weights room genetically predisposed to getting bigger and train for a couple of weeks and get jacked. Like I didn't, like when I say consistently training, I was in the gym six days a week. I was lifting weights probably for four of those days. Um, I was playing sport, like I played American football. I wrestled, I played soccer. I played, you know, a lot of masculine type sports or they were male dominated at that time anyway, Um, you know, and I did it for a number of years consistently. I also worked at a supplement company part-time. So on top of having a nutritionist that would give us all the the latest in nutritional advancements and what our nutrition and diet should look like on a daily basis, I had access to supplements. So I was always experimenting based off what was coming out in the market and trying new things and taking protein powders and all the rest of that. So Again, it was an absolute process and it took a number of years. And that is what, generally speaking, for most of the population needs to happen if you want to get to the level of jackness <laughs> that, you know, that I'm at or, you know, even female bodybuilding competitors. Like if you talk to the likes of like Hattie Boydell or Lauren Simpson or you've seen their transformation photos, it's not a year in the making. It's three to five years mm-hmm. in the making before they really did well on stage, you know, so – there is an absolute process and there is so much discipline and consistency behind that, you know. So when I look at a female athlete, I'm not just looking at her body, I'm looking at the fact that, man, that chick has discipline. Man, that chick has worked freaking hard. And that's, you know, that deserves respect in itself. So it's not necessarily just the body that deserves respect. It's respect for the process that is behind that and the will and the determination to get to that point. Preach it. Yeah, I think so it, you know, I think it says a lot about a person what they're willing to put in. Mm-hmm. Work ethic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about um, in terms of exercise selection and training programming for females versus males? Mm. Do you consider much difference there in terms of what you would write for if you know they had sort of identical goals? Yeah. Are you going to go about it in 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 a different way for a woman than you would a man? And if you and if so, what are, what are the differences there, or what are the considerations? Big question, yes and no. Um, I think the programming principles are kind of the same. Like what I'm looking for is that you're developing everything in – I can't even get my words out today. Or get Um, that woman some coffee quick. I know. Where is the coffee at? Um, What is it called? Um, Symmetry. (laughs) I was like, man, what is this word? Like, you know, I want to see the same strength, um, posterior, you know, or front and back body, right, right, left of body, you know, everything I want to develop. So I want to develop both push and pull. Um, But for me, you know, in the, say, 
we live in a society where people slump over their desk. Most people are desk, jockey, desk jockeys as, you know, as their job, so their posture is always compromised. So for me, I probably focus more on the posterior chain than I would anterior. Back of the body versus the front. Back of the, the body versus the front, so a lot more probably a two-to-one or a three-to-one pull-to-push ratio. Mm. But I might even do that for a guy who has poor posture. Um, I find that most... Most women don't really, like, to be honest, I don't program a lot of heavy benching for my women because, again, they tend to have different bowls. They want to develop the back of their body more than they want to develop the front of their body. Um, so I program a lot more pulling. Um, and then again, you know, I think for a lot of the time, a lot of the focus on my programming is, has been, to this, to this point, probably more posterior chain-focused. Because even if we look at like locomotion, that is where all of your power sort of comes from. And if we look at society today, most people are sitting down. So again, we're already in flexion a lot of the time. So I feel like we need to do a lot more work in opening up the front of the body and strengthening the back of the body just to give us a really good starting place to build a good foundation. So that tends to be where I start all of my clients and stuff off. Um, how many clients do you have at the moment? <clears throat> like given that you do some classes and you've got your other um, commitments that you have. I know you, you do yeah. mental health talks. I probably have maybe, I probably take like maybe five to six PT clients a day. I don't like to take more than that because I, I actually get really fatigued. Like I give a lot to my sessions. I'm not one of those coaches who sits in the corner and just times and yells instructions. Like I'm really hands on. I bet like, you are. I'd love to see you in action. I, yeah. I like, bet you would. <laughs> 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 that could have got a number around. Um, I, bite. Yeah. <laughs> sound bite. I, you got your tongue in you? I felt, <laughs> honestly, one of the first, one of the first um, articles that was ever written about me, I got called a badgerer <laughs> because it's literally like, I think anyone can pull a program off the internet. Anyone can clock watch. But I'm one of those people that, like, I think for a program to actually work, everything has to be done, like, really pedantically. So mm, everything mm. – I want everything done properly. I want everyone to focus on my muscle connection. I want everyone to feel it where they should be feeling it. So I'm right in there, getting in there and, like, manipulating the body and being like, no, this is where you need to be. You need to step back, like, an inch further or you need to be leaning forward mm. slightly more. You need to be doing this or think about wide collarbones or you know, whatever, it, whatever is the cue. Like, I'm really mm. hands-on with my training. Wide collarbones. Yeah, wide collarbones. That's an interesting cue. I like that. Well, because I feel like – and it was funny. It helps you push I, the shoulders down. It does. And then, yeah. Well, if you think wide collarbones, it – it opens you up through the chest yeah. and it automatically fills the lats. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, and that was a Pilates cue. Like my first love, my first fitness love aside from the weight stream was actually in Pilates. So I feel like a lot of the cues that I use in Pilates or were used on me have now translated across into the weights room. Very cool. Um, and especially I find with female clients, they respond very well to Pilates cues because it is about lengthening and strengthening and women respond really well to that. Yeah. Mm. Um, guys find it really interesting. I want you to crack a walnut between your butt cheeks. There you go. <laughs> yeah. A guy might respond better than yeah. it's far more aggressive, but a guy responds really well to like, think about your belly as being really flat and wide, oh. you know, because that's essentially they want flat tummies. Yeah. Um, you know, and if we talk about training females when it comes to core, you know, for a lot of people, core or traditionally it was all about doing as many sit-ups as you could. And I remember I did an article on this once as well. It was about, you know, the difference between having that bulky six-pack versus the really flat, drawn-in kind of abdominals that you see on 
women who do Pilates or who do a lot of yoga and it's that if you're consistently going to flexion and you're consistently pushing the muscles out, that is how you will train them to become. So if you're consistently doing sit-ups and abs in that flexion mode and you're pushing out the rectus, that's how your abdominal muscles will develop. If you're focusing on drawing everything in, that is how your muscles will also develop. So again, it's all about the cueing. Um, I don't necessarily, what I don't agree with in the in the training world is the fact that women are just little men and need to be trained exactly the same way. I don't necessarily see that at all. If you read a ton of articles in terms of the fact that we, you know, even when it's testing, you know, our three rep max is a better indicator of our of our true strength than our one rep max, whereas mm. for guys it would be different. So testing would be completely different. Guys would absolutely go to their one rep max. There's going to be a big difference or a bigger difference between their three rep and their one rep max. For women it's a lot smaller. Your one rep max is going to be very, very close to your three rep max. And why is that? Uh, Yeah, like what's the... I mean, look, I don't know. Honestly, don't know. Um, Could be a mix of genetics, could be a mix of hormonal, um, like how much testosterone you have. Um, It could be a mix of how many, you know, slow twitch versus fast twitch muscle fibres you have in the body and the composition is going to be different for everybody. Um, Typically speaking, men respond... Or women respond better to, you know, they well they can recover quicker, so they don't need as much rest. They can also handle larger volume. Men don't tend to respond as well to that. So there's a whole range that you take into account, and it depends on training experience. You know, it depends on their actual goals. Like it's not necessarily goals female versus male it's their own specific goals are their goals more performance oriented are they do they want to build up a specific body part that's lagging that they haven't been able to build before so it's not necessarily the difference between training a male and a female it's training when you're taking into account everything um i wanted to ask um i don't know and i don't know much at all about Hmm. this uh this at all but um do you uh, take into account like cycles like period cycles and stuff like that. Because I, I have seen some things, some people that work in that space and really trying to uplift this and bring it to the awareness of just the females, people moving and doing sports themselves, as well as the, the trainers. Yeah, look, I, I definitely think it's a conversation that should be had between or that coaches should be comfortable having with their female athletes. Mm. There's definitely a lot of science, you know, in regards to even things like when you get ACL injuries, what um, part of the cycle you're more likely to get injured in. So you know oh, wow. at that particular part of the cycle that potentially – you don't want to be looking to hit your PRs or you there is a bigger chance of getting injured. So you might not want to squat or deadlift really heavy because there's a higher incidence of knee injuries in that particular part of the cycle. There's a part of the cycle where you have less energy. So, mm. <clears throat> you know, you need to take into account how they're going to be feeling emotionally. Um, but, you know, but then some people will argue, well, that's great, but you're also, you get that with males as well when you're going to have that part where you just don't feel like fucking doing anything. Does that become an excuse for not doing a good session? Yeah. yeah. Um, I definitely think there is an argument to take that into consideration for sure. And I think it should be a conversation, like I said, that any good coach should be comfortable having with their athletes. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't train many girls as it happens. I mean, it's just happened that way. And I've been thinking that while we're sitting here. Um, yeah, I've only worked with a handful of girls. And I haven't been coaching for all that many years. But there's, yeah, there is a lot that I, I don't know. Just It's just like any other population that you haven't trained a lot, whether it's adolescence or otherwise. But um, 
yeah, that I, I saw some stuff online regarding this mm. and I thought, holy shit, I, at, at a stage I was like, I didn't ever have this conversation. I didn't think about it for the last couple of years. And, yeah, um, it's a whole other conversation. I mean, look, to be honest, I mean, I would say my forte is building a really good foundation. Like mm. I like fixing people. I like getting them to move well. I like them getting to understand the foundations of good strength training. If I were to move more into the realm of performance and training athletes sure. and getting athletes to a point, you know, power athletes or strength, I'd probably go into it. I'd probably delve into it a whole lot deeper. Mm. Um, and there are like a lot of the girl, a lot of the other female coaches I know in the industry, they know that side of it really, really well because they do work with females specifically for strength or for powerlifting or for professional type sports. So that's something that they are very more aware of. For me, I kind of, I like my females to track their cycle purely for the point of like, you know, for me, I know that when I come up to my cycle, I don't sleep very well for the week up to it, my sleep is really disrupted. Mm. Um, and often when I have conversations with my other female clients, they'll be like, yeah, I don't sleep very well either. And it turns out, you know, our cycles are, um, there's the moon is a huge component of that. You know, every time there's a full moon. Um, and we know how the moon affects the water. Our bodies are 70% water. So therefore it makes sense that the moon affects that your mood and it affects the way that you sleep. So getting them to track that sort of thing or, you know, when are you hungriest or when don't you sleep or when do you feel less recovered and tracking that part of their cycle and finding the patterns for them as an individual. Mm. You know, which parts of their cycle do they feel better in? Where does it start falling apart to them? What do we need to look out for next time? And then getting them to be aware of that themselves. It's true. It's yeah. It's hard. I think as a coach, you're always trying to uh, educate, especially when you work with, like I, I, I work with a lot of peop uh, beginners, people who haven't trained mm. a lot as well. It's just a real bringing of awareness because they're in the driver's seat all the time and no matter what you educate them on, they have to have their alertness on for all those different factors and they're the best person to kind of put it all together. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. And like, you know, you can, we have all these big, you know, wide sweeping generalizations for everybody at which phase of their cycle you're more likely to injure, or which phase you're going to feel more tired or which phase you're going to have more energy and you feel like a million bucks. But again, it is going to vary individual to individual. And mm. I just find that as coaches, like giving the accountability back to the client as well as like, be aware of how your body feels. Don't use mm. it as an excuse, but be aware of where you are. So that like, say you do come on in a day and it's like a testing day and you know that you're about to get your period and you know, you know that you potentially don't perform as well in that. Be kind to yourself and know that if you don't hit your PRs on that day, that there's going to be a better time a to fact, test them. Yeah, yep. You know, so just being aware of all those things. I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in that field, mm, but yep. it is something that I would encourage people to be aware of for sure. Yeah, cool. I, I wanted to ask you uh, about role models. Um, just, uh, yeah, like I see you as a really great role model for, for a lot of women, Aww. especially, you know, wanting to be <laughs> strong and put yourself out there and show vulnerability and all that sort of stuff. Um, I guess, uh, can you comment on um, the state of female role models that are out there? And maybe uh, I, I also wanted to ask, like, uh, do you, who, who are the role models that, you started hitting the gym when you were really young. Were there people at a different time where you looked at that person and, um, you know, that athlete or that body or something like that that started your or helped your journey towards with your strength training? You started to feel strong, but were there those, those people that you looked up to? Honestly, when I started going to the weights room, not really because mm. – 
doing weights when you're a female wasn't a huge thing when I was growing up. I really didn't have any role models in that. The first time I ever really looked into it was when I was body doubling for Victoria Pratt, who sure. was like, she was top of her game as an American fitness model. And that was the first time I'd really been introduced to female physique models. Like, you know, when I went to go to the gym, I was... I wanted to do something to make me feel better, more so for my mental health and because I was obviously being bullied for too skinny. So I knew I wanted to lift weights, but I had no specific role model in that area. Mm. She kind of brought my awareness to a whole realm of like, oh my God, look at what these chicks look like in their little denim shorts in these fitness magazines. Like <laughs> I want hanging hamstrings like that or, you know, look at their abs or look how proud they look in those photos. Like they look fucking strong, you know, and then you've got like... Um, even if we look back at the really early days of, you know, um, when it was He-Man and Shira, you know, like mm. the, the Amazonians and watching like in New Zealand at that time, I think the first time that it ever really became yeah. on TV was kind of like Xena. 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 And I was mm. like, I was body doubling on shows like that. So I had stunty friends who were on set all the time. So they became kind of the role yep, models and it was yep. more along in times of like the action figure. I wanted to be like the yes. Amazonian warriors that were in the jungle and they were like badasses. So those were the kind of role models. No one specifically within the sporting arena, but more so because I was on film sets all the time. These were the girls that I was aspiring to be, the girls that would end up being, you know, the, the Marvel heroes. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess because I was thinking about what Joe was saying about how some, if girls come here, maybe they don't want to lift weights and they're not trying to be that guy <coughs> over there doing muscle ups or whatever. But they come in and they start to see, you know, they, they eventually get converted later. Maybe they're doing upper body work now. Um, but I think that inside, say, our gym environment, like their immediate role models are when they see other women in our lift classes are packed with chicks. Um, yeah. And they're being strong and they're the ones that start to become their role models and they're actually shoulder to shoulder with them just because they're, they're lifting weights and they, they know what it is to be strong and blah, blah, blah. But I was just thinking like uh, out there in the public sphere um, who, you know, for a female who sees – this podcast and listens to it like I, and I don't know um like uh, except I mean, for I know you <laughs> you know and uh, is, is there is there much out there for for those girls to look at and be like ah, oh, I want to be strong I guess you mentioned like CrossFit did a good thing there. absolutely now There's like a lot of athletes there you know Tia Claire is a prime example of how she's jacked yeah, she's Jack, but she is not only Jack, but she puts her muscles to good use. Mm. You know, and I still remember when Ronda Rousey was fighting and she put out this quote and it was like, you know, for all the haters out there, you know, every single muscle in my body has a purpose. And it mm. was like, fuck yeah. You know, like these women yeah, are, they don't just look the part, they are the part. Mm. They are walking the talk, they're in the gym, you know, Holly Holmes. How many chicks watch that? watched her fight run around. He was like, oh my God, I want a box. Yes. You know, like it doesn't matter which sphere you go into. There are even to the point of, you know, you look at like the lingerie league in football. These girls are incredibly sexy. They're doing, and I can attest to the fact that, you know, I have worn that outfit. You know, I've played right. gridiron in New Zealand for four years. I know how heavy that bloody outfit is, you know, wearing all that padding. I know how hard that sport is but they've made that sport sexy. And yes, yeah, some people would say, you know, the feminists will get on there and bellow, but they're wearing fucking lingerie. Who cares? They're still feminine as fuck. They still Is that what you did when off. you were playing? I didn't play in lingerie. Okay. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. even have a booty back then. <laughs> yeah. So no. <laughs> I felt wrong when I was what? 
But I mean, I wrestled. You know, yes, like yeah, I yeah. did WWE style wrestling. My name was Glacier. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. love that. Fuck, that's it right. It was true. Yeah. <laughs> Glacier. Glacier. Um, there are those those sports models out there. And I, and I have seen them now that you, you said that. Um, the fighters and you stuff. Look. Yeah. And the they're athletes. sexy, you know. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what. Even like the WWE wrestling girls, they mm. get out there. That's really hard. Like I've done the training for that sport. Those girls are walking the talk and it might not look like much, but they like they're you athletic. get them in the gym. Absolutely. They'd be yeah. ripping out the pull-ups. They'd probably be one of the strongest girls in the deadlift. You know, they know how to perform. Mm. Um, there's plenty like within the stunt world. I know a bunch of New Zealand Aussie girls that are absolutely killing it and mm. they're complete badasses. There's, I feel like uh, women's rugby is coming into the picture more or maybe it's yep. just my – Bias, I follow a bunch of seven teams and stuff like that. I love seeing those girls. Yep. And even yeah. AFL, now women's AFL is yes, getting yeah, their yeah. own league. Yeah. You know, like thing. I think it's just a, a testament to the girls that have worked really, really hard behind uh-huh. the scenes and show that they can be just as much of a draw card as the men can. They can put on just as much of a great performance. They can be at the top of their game. Um, they're great role models for women, you know, Absolutely. not just in terms of aesthetics, but for performance. Mm. There's still a big um, hurdle uh, amongst males and their sort of views on on women who endeavour to do that kind of stuff, isn't there? Like I, I, I notice it in myself. I've said it in the past. Like oh. even in my own head um, momentarily and then I've checked myself but it's like, oh, fuck, look at her. Like what's she trying to prove? Or like, look, you know. what? She now, looks like a guy. Yeah, like I don't. Yeah, no, I get or, it. or like, oh, I don't find girls like that hot at all where it's like some kind of expectation that she's living her life for you. Or so, you know what I oh, mean? absolutely. I think you like, get that with anything, right? I suppose so. But I do think that that, I, I feel like that's just such a big one because whatever, like, like of course that stuff that guys need to deal with in how they perceive yeah. women but then it's also like women are totally affected by what guys think of them as well so it's like yeah, being I mean, aware of that and, yeah. and you know I mean I've spoken to I've spoken to that many girls who, who train who have had negative sort of comments like that from their partner like oh f- how much bigger you like how much more muscle you want to put on or don't you think you're big enough or fuck you're getting bigger than me projection like, yeah, oh. thing, fuck that guy <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean and it's like and you're like oh, oh shit and the woman's like oh tell me about it but it's like, it's a real thing, you know? Like It is a real thing, and it's really sad that it's a real thing. Um, yeah, look, that's a, oh, that's a really hard one because I guess there's two sides to that. One is the side that's like the guy is starting to get intimidated by the fact that their girlfriend potentially looks stronger than they are. So maybe that's coming from the fact that their mates have made a comment in passing and now they've suddenly taken it on board that their girlfriend's looking stronger than them so they're starting to get a little bit intimidated so they're trying to slow them down. Um, the other one is that, yeah, I mean, women for a long time, we've society has told us that we are meant to look a certain way and that if we start looking, you know, our job is in society to look a certain way, be attracted to the male so that then we can procreate and produce other little offspring that are supposed to look a certain way. And the sad part of that is like it's been perpetuated a little bit within the media. And then we pick up on that and then we get this idea of what is meant to be attractive and what is not. And unfortunately guys also get an idea of what, you know, through watching the media and having other women on social media look a certain way. Um 
they have an idea of what they deem to be the ideal woman type as well so that when a girl doesn't conform to that or a woman doesn't conform to that, they start questioning the idea of are they attractive or not. Um, but it's, it's hard because it's kind of like where do you draw the line and like, well, you know, I always dated Polynesian guys so I didn't necessarily find white boys attractive but are you going to call me out for that? You know, it's kind of like, where do you draw the line? I have my own particular preference on what I have an ideal partner look like. I don't know what that's based off. Maybe it's based on some childhood trauma. I don't know anything about. Hmm. Who knows? I have a certain type that I'm attracted to and it's kind of like, well, they're not attracted to that. However, in saying that, it doesn't, it definitely doesn't give them the right to put their own projections or their own insecurities or their own opinions out and call somebody out for not looking a certain way or not looking how they think they should look. Um, I don't know. It's a really. I find that a really. It's kind of like a hard question. It is. Yeah. It's. 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 A, it, it's. There's no. There's no solution for it that you there can kind of see. There isn't a solution for it. It's kind of like, well, if you don't find that attractive, then don't Go. date that. But don't yeah. then narrate the story to make that person feel bad about what they're doing or make them feel like their purpose is to be attractive for you. Yes. Because that's also not their purpose. Like, if that woman is trying to feel good about herself, then fucking leave her be. Like. That's her thing. And if, as a guy, you're not attracted to that, you're not attracted to that. That's your shit, not their shit. There's a, um, a, f- a, a cool article um, my coach shared, actually, on uh, amongst the group where I train jiu-jitsu um, at Alliance in Rose Bay, if anyone wants to know. But um, it, it was about – there was a, an, an incident in the jiu-jitsu world a couple of months ago where a couple of fighters got into – like a couple of athletes got into a scrap off, like, um, you know, like in the media – uh, well, they got into a physical altercation that blew up into this big thing. Anyway, at the time of the physical altercation, there was a female jiu-jitsu athlete there, a woman named Gabby Garcia, who's very famous within jiu-jitsu, multiple-time world champion, has fought MMA. She is, um, she is for a woman, she's extremely tall, heaps of muscle, you know, is, is obviously uh, on, the, on the end of the spectrum regarding genetics. Yeah. Um, she's, she, you know, she looks like a giant. And um, she's she's accomplished a huge amount in her career she's been busted for steroids in mma like like once or twice yeah um and she has this kind of thing that she carries around where you know everyone's like oh gabby garcia look at her like she's a fucking freak you know it's this kind of this thing and um the article was all about she and she basically jumped in on the altercation and she was like i'll fucking fight this dude like yeah it was awesome i love that and she was like 30 (laughs) kilos bigger than the biggest guy there she's like she's awesome she's enormous um the the article was all about how guys need to check their like what they're saying about her because he's like yeah like fair like she's she's been busted for steroids that's true but look at like the other top 10 most famous jiu-jitsu athletes that every guy loves and they've all been busted for steroids too but no one ever talks about that and so he just started bringing up all these parallels and i read it and i'm like man that's a fucking great article because he's like yeah like she she's not trying to be sexy for you She's just trying to be an MMA fighter and a jiu-jitsu athlete and trained to, and, and she's doing it and she's won more medals. You know what I mean? Like she's yeah, been, absolutely. she's incredibly accomplished. And I was like, wow, yeah, it's really, there's a, it was just a great article because it's those sorts of projections or those sorts of opinions. Double standards. Yeah. They can sneak in and you, and you find yourself making them and then you're like, oh, it's totally whatever. Making like a horribly sexist, horribly sexist thought pattern there or remark or whatever. Yeah, no, or contributing to this this culture, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm. You know, m- one of my good girlfriends, I think, put up a quote not so long ago on Instagram. She put up a post about it, and it was all about, you know, 
we should be encouraging young women to appreciate their bodies for what they can do, not what they look like, not what they can look like, you know. And I thought that was really, that was really powerful and it is that way. Like we should be teaching, we should be teaching any kids, guys or girls, to appreciate their bodies for what they can do, not necessarily what they can look like, you know. Because I, I, if we're going to talk about this, I mean there are so many parallels and everything. We could pull up a million examples of double standards for, for guys and girls. But girls also talk shit about guys. You know, so, you know, like I've been in a group and, you know, I probably get shit for this as well, like sticking out for the obvious. But, you know, I've been within a group of girls who've pulled apart guys for having little calves or for whatever, you know. But if it was a guy doing it the opposite to a girl, they get pulled up on it straight away. Mm. It does happen the other way round. Of course. But it's not judged. You know what I mean? It's not perceived as such. Yeah. So I think it definitely exists in all. I think people should just stop fucking comparing yeah, everyone right. to everyone else and stop projecting their own opinions of what they believe anybody's body should look like onto that person based on what they believe the body should look like. Yeah, but I'm always going to rip on guys with little wrists <laughs> and thin necks. <laughs> and I'm never going to go date guys with small calves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, good. Lex, that was, I think that's a really good point for us to wrap on. <laughs> that was... Um, I always love having you on. It, oh. You know, the, I think we could we could keep chatting for ages, and it would be, and we'll get you on again. I, there's more to go into, um, but thank you for coming on today and sharing You're your very thoughts. Very welcome. You got any? I know that things have been thrown into <coughs> a bit of a, a bit of disarray with COVID and whatnot. But you got any talks coming up or any events you want to plug? Anything people should know about? Uh, look, no. I just um, everyone out there, just fuck. Look after yourselves, man. Look after yourselves. Look after your mates. Um, I'm doing a mini mental health tour through. Um, Foster and is it Tunkari? Tunkari. Mm. Thank God I pronounced that right because yeah. honestly I've been really struggling with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said it was Tunkaray in my like Instagram. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Um, so I'm doing a, like a mini mental health tour through there at the beginning of August. Um, seeing some schools and a couple of rugby clubs. So if there's any businesses in that area that would like to, you know, have a bit of a, a chat to their staff or their workplace or their school while I'm in the area. Um, you know, please hit me up on Instagram. I'm pretty good at answering the DMs through that. I'll be representing Livin, so I'll be down there for, you know, three or four days. I would love to see anyone in the area. And obviously any businesses that get involved, one of the greatest things about being a business and get involved is that if you get us in to do a chat, you're essentially paying for a school to have a free chat. So any businesses, Foster, Tunkari. That's the one. Beginning of August. If you'd want to have a mental health chat there, please let me know. That's cool. That's a very cool thing to put out there. What's um what's the Instagram handle? Where do people find you? At Action Alexa. I know, you'll never forget it. Powerful. I was gonna say. Yeah. Powerful handle. <laughs> like a fucking savage. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Gorilla. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gorilla, that's gonna be my new emoji. <laughs> and you know, if you're in if you're needing some light entertainment, you can just watch my cooking videos, which are also Oh awesome dude, I love the one yesterday where you fucked up with the salt. Was that legit? <laughs> that was legit. I was just like, I'm gonna put the video recorder on here and I'm just gonna film it and see what happens. And dear God, the whole thing was just an absolute fucking disaster. I'd never turned my oven on until that day so <laughs> oh shit. my god it was yeah it was an unmitigated you're disaster. a fry pan for everything in the fry pan type girl i'd never even used my fry pan at that point so it was literally what do i have in my kitchen 
I guess I got to watch. She was, dude, making the making the thing, putting the salt in. Couldn't figure out how to get the salt thing open. <laughs> Fell off. Fucking around, gets it, and all the salt gets in. Like the classic. Yeah. Well, the next video along that line was like, I couldn't get the pepper thing open either. So I was like, fuck this. There's going to be no salt and pepper in my <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, it's cool. Um, thank you. You're welcome. Absolute pleasure. <laughs> Guys, thanks for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did enjoy it, Please share it with a friend, post about it. It helps to support the show and helps to get um, good message out there. I think, uh, you know, obviously we, we, we feel passionately about strength training and it being a part of, of, you know, women who are interested in that kind of thing. Like it's, it's, it's important for everyone developing your physicality. And I know for, for our gym, strength training has trans- transformed a lot of lives. Uh, and our gym is like 55% female. So get it out there. Thank you. Get at us, junglebrothers.com if you need us. And uh, thank you to Panavore for the coffee today. It was delish. Thank you. Cheers, Paulie. Cheers, Lex.